Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Tan Schnick. Looking forward to today's conversation. You know, I, I look back upon my career and it has been very much a zigzag pattern and I have done anything but follow any type of a traditional career path, which maybe explains why I kind of am happy with how my uh, business and my career have gone because it's been very different, very unique, and and I wouldn't say necessarily necessarily went into it with a grand scheme, but it's been fun and challenging. As I sit here to record this episode, I'm looking out my window into the city of Chicago, and I see dozens and dozens and dozens of high-rise buildings full of corporate employees that I fear are not where they want to be on their career track. And I suspect that today's guest is going to shed some light as to how that happens and what we do about it. Let's get to it. I'm joined today by Tim Cole. He is the founder and CEO of an organization called The Compass Alliance and is the author of a new book called The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. Tim, welcome to the show. Ah, Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. I appreciate you making time to join us. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Now, before we get into a conversation around the new book, take a quick second. Tell us a bit about the work that you're doing at the Compass Alliance. Yeah, well, let me tell you that I'm smiling as you're talking about the corporate world that you're looking out on because I've invested right at 38 years in what might be considered the corporate world I fell into or maybe just a uh, serendipitously stumbled into a corporate career. I didn't really set out post-college to go in that direction. Went into healthcare slash pharmaceuticals and am coming to the end of that career, actually in a matter of days. And over the past year, I began to put together a company of my own called the Compass Alliance. And it's all intended to do exactly, Todd, what you talked about. It's intended to help people navigate a career a career of significance, not just one of financial security. And I wrote the book because in my life, you know, I've, you talked about the linear path or maybe the one that you pursued, which is a zigzag pattern. I managed to navigate through, let's see, five mergers slash acquisitions, <laughs> uh, 25 restructures, and there came a time when I was the only one left, and people began to ask me, how did you manage to do this? And, and, and the reality is I found markers. I used those markers to build a path, and more often than not, I found a lot of people that had no real direction, and because of that, they fell off the mountain a lot. So that's the why behind the book, and the intent is to try to help others build a career that's truly significant that maybe can make a difference in the lives of others. Well, the key word you said there a minute ago was you stumbled into dot, dot, dot. I feel like most people, well, not just in their career, I think in life and how they conduct themselves and how they plan their family and and they stumble into most everything. I don't know why. I mean, I guess I'm really disappointed that a guy like you has to even write this book. I mean, why are we so bad? Why do we, I think you said something on the lines of 
we put as much time into managing our and planning and plotting our career path as we do buying a lottery ticket and hoping that it pays off. I mean, why did you have to write this book? Why are we so bad at managing and thinking about our career, which is obviously where we're going to spend a significant majority of our life? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I'd like to give you a profound answer that would give you the, the definitive. <laughs> I, I don't know, Todd, because you're right. You, you, most of us are going to spend about 100,000 hours in the pursuit of a career. It's the biggest financial investment all of us are going to make, unless you're a, a trust fund baby or unless you win the lottery. It's the biggest financial investment of your life, and people in general treat it like a gamble or, or you know, going to their local bar. There's not a lot of critical thinking that's applied to it. I, I know in my case, to answer your the supposition of your question, I when I got out of school, I had no direction. I had really no purpose. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but somewhere along the line, it, it dawned on me that I'd like to get a company car and an expense account. And so I said, well, I'll just go into pharmaceuticals. That was a hot industry at the time, and I guess to a certain degree still is. So the degree of critical thinking that I applied to that first job was nil. And here's what happened, and I say as much in the book. It was the Forrest Gump approach to career development. And I got lucky because once I found my way into it, I began to forge a path. I found some things that I eventually grew to have a passion around. And by dumb luck and serendipity, I finally found a way and was able to navigate a course. But you're right. I, I wish I could tell you why more people aren't capable of critical thinking when it comes to a career. I think the reasons are probably myriad, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Here's the reality for this country, and it's worldwide. If you take a look at it, about 70% of the workforce in this country, and it's higher in other countries, are, are fully disengaged from their job. I mean, disengaged, don't want to be there, looking for a way out, don't know how to do it. And that, I think, is a staggering figure, especially when you consider it costs the U.S. economy somewhere around $500 billion a year. I'm surprised it's only that. I mean, it is a staggering figure. And it's one that you can't really even get your head around, right? And you're like, all right, well, that's it almost proves my point that I feel like most people say, hey, this is it. I have to be somewhere at nine. I can leave at five. I... I, I dread Sunday nights. I'm I celebrate Hump Day. I can't wait for the bell to ring at 5 p.m. on Friday. What a miserable existence! Why do most people feel powerless that they can get out of this rut? I mean, you have the power right now. And I'm not just talking about the lessons from this book, but you have the power to to make a change right now or. You have the power, too, to change your mindset and enjoy the work that you're currently doing, right? Yeah, you do. And that's, I think, the, the tragedy of it. Everybody that's listening to this podcast has the capacity to make changes. But you also, I think, articulated much of the greatest obstacle, and that's the mindset. You know, and I'll, I'll speak to my generation. I'm, I'm a baby boomer. There are a lot of baby boomers that have been in their role for years and years and years. They're not happy, haven't been happy forever, but they continue to deal with the devil they know versus contemplating looking elsewhere because it's easier to stay in that quote-unquote comfort zone when it's really not a comfort zone at all. And, you know, when people ask the question, why would you take the time to write a book like this? Well, it's exactly what you just said, Todd. I've known hundreds and probably more 
that when you ask them about their career, they go, well, yeah, it was, it was okay. I mean, I managed to put a kidder through, through college, and our mortgage is, for the most part, it's paid off. And, yeah, it's all right. And I can't think of anything that is a more horrific outcome than at the end of your career to basically be able to say, well, I, I survived it. You know, I still have two hands and two feet, and that's, I, I, I think there's a better way. And it does require, though, the impetus and the initiative to get off your rear end and begin to think in larger terms of what, what you can be and what you want to do and what you have a passion around. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that's a very difficult decision. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're going to get into uh, the, the Tim Cole solution here, uh, or what you would call kind of the cardinal points of the career compass. Uh, so that's the key message. We're going to dive into that in detail in just a minute. But before we go to break, what I want to also clarify that I think a lot of people struggle with is, all right, well, what path of a career do I choose? Do I, do I work for a larger organization? Do I work for somebody else? And there are certainly people who would rather do it that way, who uh, would like to not have the burden of being in charge and, and thrive in that environment of actually executing on good work versus the person who says, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't wanna work for someone else. I wanna be my own boss. I wanna make the decisions. But there's a whole slew of challenges that come with that, too, and a lot of burden and responsibility. It is exciting, but it is, I can speak from personal experience, it's, it's scary and, and challenging. But there is its own rewards. I guess before we go to break, the question is, how do you begin to decide which is the right path? Do I, do I want to be part of a team or do I want to be entrepreneurial and, and do something on my own? And I guess maybe part of the uh, uh, corollary to that question is you can also be entrepreneurial within an organization too, right? You sure can. Uh, and I think that's uh, embedded in that question. Are there a lot of different layers? If someone were to ask me, and they're 22 years old, do I take a traditional corporate route or do I pursue an entrepreneurial approach? I generally begin by asking them questions about what motivates them, what they're passionate about, what are the things that would be rate limiters, and what are the things that would be rate accelerators. And I think more often than not, it requires a little bit of self-searching before one embarks on either path. The ease, No, I shouldn't say the easier, but the more conventional path is to take a corporate kind of job, and I'm speaking in generalities here, and using that foundation to potentially springboard into entrepreneurial. But I've known so many different people that uh, when they were 22 years old, they said, hey, no, not going to do that. I'm going to be my own boss. And I think, again, it just requires a little bit of critical thinking. You know, I, I literally, within the last hour, had a conversation with a millennial who was in this point in his career trying to figure out what to do. And I told him, hey, look, you know, if it were me, I'd go get a book like String Finders 2.0. And I begin to take a look at what are your skills and your aptitudes because that's going to help inform a little bit of the decisions to come. But I know we're getting ready to go into a break, and I'll defer until we come back. Well, I'm not going to let you do that because I, I want to clarify one thing. You keep saying critical thinking, and and it's that's one of those phrases that I think if you ask 10 people, you get 10 different definitions. I want to be sure it's real clear what that means. I, I, I think I know what it means, and it's this self-awareness of who you are and what you want. Uh, and it's 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 not easy. Critical thinking, as I understand, it, is not is not easy. But before we go to break, just define that. So someone listening says, "All right, now I really understand what Tim means when he says that." Because you can't do this without critical thinking. And you're right. And in my mind, critical thinking means objectively looking at a situation 
as best you can, divorcing yourself from the emotions, but looking at it as a third party might in terms of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and doing so with a healthy dose of, and I hate to use the word skepticism, but skepticism and the willingness to confront your own idiosyncrasies, your own belief systems, and to challenge them. Somebody told me once early in my career, every time you come forward with a belief or a statement, a paradigm, whatever you want to call it, instead of making that an absolute truth, look at it instead and say, it is an hypothesis that you're going to either prove or disprove. And over the course of the last several decades, I've always said to myself, what I assume to be true is always going to be warranted to challenge because I have my own belief system, everybody else does. So when I talk about critical thinking, I'm saying get away from the emotion and look at it objectively as you might a chessboard rather than making yourself a pawn on that chessboard and trying to react to the situations around you, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense, and it's brilliant. And, and what I want to leave with is the my belief that that's, that ought to be looked upon as a really exciting process. That ought to be... Uh, enlightening and it ought to be exciting it ought to stimulate thinking and, and ideas i mean that that's not, it's a hard process but it's an exciting one and that's the advantage that we have is that we can do that and, and you ought to be celebrating that idea that, that you can do that kind of critical thinking because you know most people aren't doing it just by the, the mere fact that you are doing it but <laughs> gives you such a leg up over others that are trying to go down that same highway of a career path as you are. So that, that's an exciting process. All right, Tim and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. Today's special edition coverage is made possible by Envoy, helping you to build a world-ready workforce and alleviating the stress associated with navigating U.S. immigration, securing global work authorizations and business visas, and managing all of your international employees. Envoy combines expert legal representation with technology to provide the only enterprise platform that enables companies to effortlessly hire and manage their global workforce. To learn more, please visit EnvoyGlobal.com. That's EnvoyGlobal.com. All right, I am back with Tim Cole. He's the author of a new book called The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. All right, so The Compass Solution. Walk us through... As I understand it, there are four cardinal points of what you would call the career compass. So please guide us through what those are, please. I will, and I'll begin by offering a little bit of a story as a background, and it kind of ties back, Todd, to one of the first comments that you made. When I tell people the number of mergers and acquisitions and restructures that I've gone through, they they go, that can't be possible. I mean, who goes through 30 of these or 30-plus, and I I say to them, well, the industry that I chose was volatile. It became hyper-volatile in the 90s because of a lot of different things that I won't go into. And for those of us that chose that career path, it became a rodeo where if you weren't demonstrating productivity and you didn't demonstrate value to your company, you just didn't, you didn't last. And after about the second or third restructure or merger, whatever you want to call it, I, I literally looked in the mirror one day when my manager was gone, my department had shifted, all the things that I thought would be my basis for the future had evaporated. And I came to, uh, I guess, my own version of an epiphany, and that is the only person that's going to travel with me in the course of this career, unfortunately, for good or bad, is me. And so I began to take a look at, okay, am I really 
personally accountable for every aspect of my career. I mean, really personally accountable. And that kind of goes back to what you said before. I was not a critical thinker. I did not think of my job in anything other than a job. And I never thought in context of a larger career. And so because of that, I went to work every day. I earned a paycheck. But I wasn't really doing anything other than engaging in a transactional exercise where I was paid for the work that I provided to the company. And so in time, as I saw hundreds and then thousands be moved in a matter of a split second, I began to say, all right, the only way I'm going to make it is I'm going to find markers that I'll use to guide me. And the first marker is just that. The North Star for the compass is personal accountability. And uh, people hear that and they go, well, that's, isn't that just intuitive? Well, not really. A lot of the world that I came from, there was a lot of, well, that's not really my fault, but yeah, I can do it, but the circumstances, and you know what I'm talking about. And so I began to say, all right, if I'm really going to be personally accountable, what does that involve? And in the book, The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career, I talk about what are the component parts of really embracing personal accountability in every part of your career. And that that comes from things as basic as making sure that you find a passion, because if you don't, you're, you're never really going to be able to be successful in your role. It, it talks about things like owning your career versus renting it. You know, I've worked with a lot of people that said to their manager, make me successful, which is about, that's tantamount to saying, feed me and clothe me, because if you depend on someone else to get where you need to be, you're never going to be successful. And again, I won't go into great detail, but I, I try to say to people, you know, for every person that burns out, and again, about 70% of the workforce is burned out. That's a self-inflicted wound. That's not something that's the fault of the company, the industry, the manager, or anyone else. That's a self-inflicted wound because that individual chose at some point to say, I'll maintain status quo and hope. And hope's not a strategy. So within the lodestar, which is personal accountability, there are a lot of nuggets that I carried away that ultimately gave me my sense of true north, and I can tell you, 30 mergers, acquisitions, restructures later, that's the number one reason that I managed to survive and ultimately to thrive. And again, that'll give you a flavor for the first piece in that North Star of personal accountability. Again, that's one of those things that, that I mean, you remarked that someone said, oh, isn't that intuitive? Well, of course it is, but the fact is most people aren't doing it. They're not willing to do it. And, and it you can't you can't win your career without personal responsibility. I mean, I, I don't know why most people are so willing to just concede that. Uh, they just they say I'm not responsible. I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to let my superiors dictate and guide where I go and and oh I hope and pray I get a, a promotion someday. But I'm going to go home and watch watch TV, <laughs> you know, and and dread having to wake up the next morning. But I'm really hoping that something good happens tomorrow instead of being proactive about it. I just, I just don't get how you can't figure that out. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I, it's just one of those mysteries to me, Tim, that I just can't figure out why we're so willing to just not empower ourselves and, and do something about this. This, I'm still thinking about the statistic you shared at the top half of the show, that 70% of people who are burned out, as you said, or disengaged. How do you... I guess a two-part question. If you are that burned-out, disengaged employee of an organization, I guess you could be that way with your own company too. But but how do you how do you begin to root yourself out of that? And two, 
The second part of the question is, if I am managing people who I know are burned out and disengaged, it's in your best interest to say that's intolerable and I need to do something about that. And I frankly, I have the ability, I think, to do something about that. What do you do? Well, that's a that's a great question. And I, I have to say that as you were asking the first part of that question, why do people not, why are they not willing to do what's required? I, I'm reminded of a story I heard that was attributable to a concert violinist, and I can't remember his name now, but I heard this 25 years ago. And the story goes he had walked off after a uh, giving a, uh, a concert or part of a concert, and someone came up to him and said, Mr. whatever your name was, and I, I want to say his name, but I'm not sure it's correct, so I won't. Boy, I would give any price to be able to play a violin like you. And the violinist said, no, no, you wouldn't. And he proceeded to say, I took this instrument up when I was three years old, and I've played it every day for the past 30 years at minimum, six hours per day. Most people won't do that. So when people say to me, I would give anything to do what you do, the simple answer is they say it, but no, they wouldn't do it. And I've, I've never forgotten that because in regards to your question, Todd, I think that's true for a lot of people. They look at individuals that maybe have ascended or had great success and say, well, I would do anything to do what, what Todd did, what Bill did, what Susan did. And the reality is most of them say it. It's easy say, hard play. So that's the first thing. Now, as regards your question, two things stand out. If I'm burned out in the role, you know, I, I don't think burnout just happens one day. I think it's a gradual process. And in my mind, it kind of goes through a couple of key steps. At one point, you lose kind of a, a loss of purpose. Why, why am I doing this? And then you have a loss of direction. You know, where am I going? And eventually, you kind of lose your inspiration, a loss of inspiration. Then you get disengagement, and finally you get the full burnout. And when people ask me, how does that happen, I always use a story from a good friend of mine that was an ex-Green Beret. His name's Jan Rutherford. He wrote a book called The Littlest Green Beret. But Jan tells a story that I have used for a long time to talk about what burnout really is. talks about when he was going through his Green Beret training there in a, a rucksack uh, run, which is incredibly intense, miles and miles and miles with a full pack and they run, for discussion's sake, I, I can't remember the specifics, but they run, let's say, 10 miles. Highly trained soldiers, and most of them got to the point that they could run the 10 miles. But on this particular day, they got to the 10-mile mark, and the drill instructor said, keep running. That's all he said, keep running. Jan says that by the time they got to the 11th mile, strong, capable men began to fall out. And by the time they got to the 13th mile, a lot of people that probably physically could have done it were, were dropping. Jan says it wasn't a failure of the physical. The mental began to break down because, A, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know why they were doing it. And they had lost, in my mind, a sense of purpose and direction. And I think that is the equivalent of what happens in a lot of jobs. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't see a larger purpose. And I think that's where you've got to challenge people to say, why are you here? You know, is it just to earn a paycheck, or do you have a larger purpose? Does it tie into your passions? Or are you simply just going out every day and running? Because if that's what you're doing, yeah, I've got to tell you, you're going to be very prone to burnout. Now, the last part, and then I'll stop, but you asked, if I'm a manager, what do I do about that? Well, Gallup had, I think, the definitive answer to that last year. They did a study of a million millennials. 
and about 29% of millennials are engaged, 71% aren't. And when they looked at what are the reasons why, well, actually, the number one reason was exactly the person that you described, the manager, was more often than not the biggest ingredient to keeping a millennial engaged because the manager that just did these basic things, hey, Tim, this is what you're supposed to do. Here are your goals. I'm going to give you feedback, and I'm going to hold you accountable for that role. The people that had that basic kind of a manager, their level of engagement was about twice the national average. So if I'm a manager of those people that are burning out, whether you're a millennial, X, Y, baby boomer, whatever it might be, if I just do the basics of telling you, here's how you're doing, here's some feedback for you, here's some things that will help make you more successful, my chances, even if I'm just a really average manager, of keeping people more engaged increases exponentially. Well, I got to tell you, the story of the soldiers running the, with the rucksack and and is brilliant, and I'm going to steal it and use it use it myself. And that's a great way to illustrate what we're talking about here. It's, I mean, absolutely brilliant. I think millennials, as you said, I think they get an unfair rap of being job hoppers when, in fact, they're just seeking an organization that gives them meaning because that, it's that generation that wants meaning more than any other generation, and and they're not getting it, and so they're trying to find it. I mean, that's I think that's what's really happening there, and I think it's unfair that they get labeled that way. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the beauty of this thing, and and you know, the, your career is no longer, a, a, in my view, in most cases, isn't and probably shouldn't be a linear path. It ought to be a series of projects, a series of cool opportunities, and it just kind of keeps building, and the layers just keep building up, and that's how the career ought to be looked at now. I mean, so let me close with this. Uh, we have a thousand directions we could go and talk for hours. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have that today. But I want to close on this. I mean, the, the subtitle of the book is A Guide to Winning Your Career. What do you mean by winning? Because I imagine that answer and that definition and how you arrive at that is probably different for virtually every individual. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you define, you touched on it a bit earlier, but I want to close on on just being very clear on what we mean by winning your career. Bob, you're the first person that's ever asked about the subtitle, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the question. Because... <laughs> I, I made that the subtitle for a reason, and here's the simple answer. I think a majority of Americans, and really if you advance to the global uh, economy, it, it happens in every country, a majority of people don't win their career, they survive their career. And so in my mind, winning your career means engaging and optimizing yourself, optimizing the people that you work with, optimizing the company that you work for or companies, and finally, striking a balance emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically so that you do more than just simply go to work and say, job well done. You strike a balance between personal and business, and at the end of the game, you're able to look back and say, I made a contribution, and I did it in the context of the larger importance of life. I say in the book, if, if your job becomes your life, if you make this business whatever it might be, your life, then you've already lost the game. And so in my mind, what I'm trying to help people do is to say, you can do both. You can be successful. You can realize your passion. But I want you to win your career and also win your life simultaneously. So I appreciate the question, and honestly, that's a big part of why I first wrote the book, The Compass Solution. 
Well, nothing more need be said. Tim, great stuff. I appreciate you making time to join us on the show. Before I let you go, a couple of things. Should anyone want to learn more about the Compass Alliance and your work there, where do they go? And then most importantly, to get their hands on a copy of the book, The Compass Solution, where do they find it? Well, the biggest and easiest place to get the Compass Solution, because you can never be assured of inventory, is to simply go to Amazon and you'll see The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. And if you'd like to learn more about the book and the company, thecompassalliance.com is probably a pretty good place it will give you a sense of uh, how I approach it, a lot of the blogs that I've done, as well as a few other things. And if you're so inclined, uh, you can follow me at Official Tim Cole as well. So that's a pretty good start. All right, thecompassalliance.com. Tim Cole, the founder and CEO of The Compass Alliance and the author of a new book called The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. Tim, a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Thank you. All right, it's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Tim Cole, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you again very soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to intrepidmailinglist.com. That's intrepidmailinglist.com and sign up. You can also find us at intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.